This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Today's episode is the first of a two-part series on things we can do to flourish as an individual and family in our digital world. Krista Bowen, the co-founder of We Start Now, joins me to talk about some steps we as parents can take to be mentors and guides in our digital world. Next week for episode 72, Justin Early joins me to talk about our habits and how they form us. He will encourage us to be intentional to establish our digital habits so we practice presence, we give people our attention, and we resist allowing social media, news, and email to form our identity. I believe these episodes can replace that I feel unequipped feeling we so often experience when it comes to our digital routines. I believe these episodes can replace that feeling with practical tips and resources that can be implemented immediately. If you find today's conversation as helpful as I have, I ask you to pass it along to a friend. We all need encouragement and resources for navigating our digital age, and Krista does just that. So without further ado, let's get to today's conversation. Good morning, Krista. Thank you so much for sitting down with me this morning for the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's just jump right in. Introduce yourself and your family and tell all of our listeners a little bit about We Start Now. My name is Krista Bowen, and I am a co-founder and um, director of communications for We Start Now, but my primary job is that I'm the mom of four kids. My oldest is 13, and my youngest is five, and a couple of years ago, my oldest daughter was in fifth grade, and at that time, the hot Christmas gift was a smartphone, Mm -hmm. and I knew that our family was not ready for a smartphone. And yet I began hearing from parents who were just a stage ahead of me that, oh no, you have to give her a smartphone because that's how they're doing schoolwork these days. And that's how they're staying connected. And, um, I really, I really became just concerned about that and started reaching out, asking if anybody else wanted to talk about it. What happened was it became, um, a conversation ironically on of of a closed tiny group of people who started talking about this issue and it grew to 3000 people almost overnight of people who really were into and talking about what does it look like to give our kids a smartphone? How do we get them ready for that? What age is the right age? And so we began gathering, um, my co-founder Tracy Foster and Brenda Walden came alongside me and we started gathering groups of parents together to just talk about this issue and try to learn, um, from each other because we knew that, as we started asking the parents, like one step ahead of us, you know, when you were, when you were a parent of a tiny one and they weren't sleeping through the night or they weren't learning to self-soothe, you would always call that mama one stage ahead of you. And they would always say, don't worry, you know, it's going to work out. You'll survive. 
But with this issue, we noticed something very different. Um, the parents one stage ahead of us, when you'd ask them, you know, how did you how did you do the smartphone thing? They would very um, reluctantly just kind of shrink back and say, you know, I actually I don't have the answers mm-hmm. for you on this one. It's not going well. And if you can do it different, we encourage you to do yeah. it different. And so we piloted a program um, that began meeting with school PTOs and church groups and eventually got adopted by um, healthcare agencies as well as businesses and piloted a program that just brought people together to let them hear from experts, to let them have honest conversations and to equip them just with, with a plan for how screens and their family. And that is the organization that we formed that's called START. It's an acronym. It stands for Together and Rethink Technology. Um, however, we've also, now it's evolved to, to mean something even more specific. And we can talk about that a little bit later. That's the thing too. I mean, a lot of these terms, people are just now beginning to learn like digital natives. You know, mm-hmm. your children, my children, they're digital natives, I'm not even a digital native, right? I mean, like, yes, I'm 40 years old, but I remember a time when that did not exist. Right. And so we really are the first generation of people who are leading our kids through this and trying to rethink it. Right. Yeah. And so what are some of the things with your oldest daughter? Because that's been, what, three years ago now? You said she's 13? Yeah. 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 Wow. So What are some of the things as you began rethinking technology that were maybe some of the highlights that you thought, okay, this is what we need to do differently? One of the most encouraging things of the journey has been the willingness that I've seen for um, parents my age and the parents who are coming after me to say that we are going to do it differently. And so um, for her, for my oldest daughter, it has been such a blessing because she did not have to walk through a few years of being the only kid without a smartphone. She now has a Gab wireless phone, which is a product that I would recommend. It doesn't have access to a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that can trigger, can just cause accidents to happen. Mm-hmm. But she actually, even though her friends kind of all have gotten smartphones now, she still has lots of friends who are not on social media. And so I think that there is a very hopeful, promising movement of the next generation of parents who are who are beginning to say, um, we want it different and it's going to look a little bit more incremental. And we're we're seeing the things that are happening to the kids who are older and we are number one, scared out of our minds, but number two, determined to learn and grow and step into the arena and fight for our kids. So it's been encouraging. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. I feel like we almost have a little bit of an advantage because we are starting to see studies and statistics, whereas the parents who came right before us, that wasn't the story. They were just you know, we have no idea what the effect is. And so I'm grateful that um, I'm in the place where there have been studies and things coming out that show the effects. Well, I read a study recently that the average U.S. household has 11 connected devices with seven of those, including screens to view content. Mm-hmm. And so when we think through that and start your program, what are some first steps and things that we can do to really begin to rethink technology and then put those, you know, thoughts into practice. 
Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of times, I like that you said first steps, because I think one of the things that we're really passionate about at start is um, nobody's going to put the genie back in the bottle. That's right. We're not going to, we're not going to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, but what are the small things that we can do to start making changes in our lives that are going to help us be healthier when it comes to digital habits? And a lot of times parents want a pill or a really quick solution, an app. What app can I download on my computer that's going to help my kids just magically flourish? And what we try to train parents instead is to build an internal framework within your child. And that framework always starts with your values. Mm. And so the very first place that we always ask parents to do is to just stop and say, what is it that our family lives for? What, what are we doing here? What at the end, when we raised our child, what things do we want them to come out with? And so we encourage families to just really pause and have a conversation about what matters most to their family. And then we help parents think about how then are my screen habits, my digital habits, how, how am I using those to support those values? So like if my family values connection, if we value faith, what ways can we use, you know, um, FaceTime to reach out to connect with our our grandparents who live in a state from us? And also what ways can we use uh, sign up genius to figure out how we can take meals to people who, you know, who are who are having a hard time. But then we also help them narrate in their lives what ways are screens getting in the in the way of the things that I value most? So um, even though I value connection, there are times when I will fub the person I am with, which means I am going to snub them for my mm-hmm. phone. I'm going to choose my phone over being with them. And so while screens have the ability to um, allow us to really press in and live into our values, they also have the ability to interfere. And so that's the very first thing that we always recommend that families do is stop and say, how can I teach my kids to use tech in a way that supports my values and doesn't interfere with them? And how can I begin to narrate that for them and articulate that for them throughout their childhood? So that's the very first thing that we that we recommend. Yeah. And so does that go right along with the S of start, which is start with yourself? Yeah, it's really connected. So then our um, what we've done is we've repurposed our, our acronym um, to really represent the five big things that we that we believe families can do to to stay healthy when it comes to digital habits. And the S then does stand for start with yourself. And that is just the idea that, you know, the average smartphone user before quarantine (laughs) checked their phone 80 times a day. And I'm quite sure that that number has gone way up. Yes. But the idea there is just how are we modeling the habits that we want our kids to follow? And, you know, we are living in a digital age. You are putting on a podcast and I am, you know, doing conference calls for start and we need our screens. And so it's not the idea that we as adults get completely off of screens, but it's the idea of how can I put a little bit of friction in place so that I am not accidentally just Falling into habits or causing me to scroll or just check the news or 
or <laughs> respond to all of the group texts that are coming in yes. these days. And so when we talk about friction, some of our top recommendations for adults to help them model healthy habits are, you know, turning off your notifications, especially right now for like group texts and, and only leaving them on for, especially for um, people, for real people. Yes. For texts and phone calls, but not for, you know, Facebook and group me and all that. Yeah. Turn those off and just get that out of the way. Another thing that we recommend is just moving those things that tempt you, that candy crush game or um, your Facebook app or whatever, moving it off of your home screen. So you're just not as likely. It makes it one more step you have to go through to go down the rabbit trail. Um, And one of the things that I have found most helpful is that um, I found myself carrying around my smartphone all the time, even throughout my house. And the reason I realized was because my husband really felt like he would appreciate it if I would prioritize him in the same way that I prioritized everybody else's notifications. So I kept it on my hip because I always wanted to know that if that important person Mm. needed me, that it was there. But what I found was that I was always checking it and getting down the rabbit trail of things that weren't as important to me, that weren't my top values. And so actually getting a smartwatch has been a game changer for me because really? I've, okay. what I've, I've done, I've um, filtered it down so that only his notifications and like my kids school, those are the only notifications that can come through to me. And it allows me to just set my phone aside and just put it in its house and yeah. walk and be free to be hands-free and know that the people who are most important to me are going to be able to reach me. So that's something else that we, we recommend. That's really a good thing for me to hear because honestly, I don't have a smartwatch. And one of the reasons why I've not gotten one is because I'm like, oh my gosh, that means all day, every day it's on my wrist that I'm going to be like getting ding, ding, ding. So it's good to know you can filter it down to, okay, just my husband or just my parents I would hear their phone call come through if something were going on because I hear that often. I don't want to put my phone away because then, you know, that's the only way people have to get a hold of me. And I really let that control me for a while because, you know, you can say like, oh, well, I have ailing parents. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's real easy to get fearful of that. But like you said, what was happening Mm -hmm. was that phone call was never coming. Instead, it was me scrolling late at night or responding to that 10 o'clock text message. And so now I just plug my phone in out in the hallway upstairs, knowing that if something were really going on, I would get more than one phone call. Right, right. So I just don't go out there and get it unless I get a couple calls. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a great, that's a great example of what we call friction, which is just like a little, a little extra obstacle you have to go through in order to reach for that phone. That's right. That's right. Well, and I think it's, um, it may be John Mark Comer who calls it parenting your phone, you know, put your phone to bed early, or maybe it's Andy Crouch. I can't remember. And then wake it up late. And that has been a game changer for me too. Just realizing like, it doesn't have to be in your hand all the time or in your Mm -hmm. back pocket or, you know, all of those things. Right. There's a fun analogy that we um, that we heard from somebody at the Center for Humane Technology, a guy named Max Stossel, and he talked about how to talk to your kids about the addictive properties of, mm. of smartphones. And he said, you know, if you imagine that, you know, I love ice cream and I love I just love it so much. But he said, if you can imagine carrying around a bowl of ice cream 
And every time you had to get to anything important, you had to reach into the bowl of ice cream to, um, like if you wanted to get your friends, you had to reach into the bowl of ice cream or whatever to get to the things that were important to you. But also that that ice cream was always being engineered to like really appeal to like your most, um, your your favorite flavor. flavor, Yeah, exactly that you can see that you would begin to eat unhealthy amounts of ice cream because it would just be right there in front of you and always tempting you. And so anything you can do to put a barrier between the things that are tempting to you. Right. That's such a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because we just so often don't think about it like that. Right. Like there's a reason why we don't buy ice cream at the store every time we go. (laughs) There's a reason for that. (laughs) Right. Right. Yep. And... Yeah, and honestly, if 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 ice cream were offered at the same level that digital, you know, digital devices were offered, there would be actually ice cream aisles all the way to the ice cream aisle. That's you would right. be and we would t- have a whole slew of even more obese people, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, what does the T? What does the T uh-huh. stand for? So then T is, um, it stands for tables and bedtimes. And this is the idea that as families, we just need to create device-free zones. Our devices need to recharge, but also we do as families. And so if there are two places that we recommend that um, parents could start, they are absolutely are not the um, not the full spectrum of places that you could go device-free, but one of them would be tables, so meal times. The good news about that is that you're – your dinner doesn't have to be organic and homemade. It could be, you know, drive through McDonald's, Chipotle. Um, and it doesn't have to be anything magical and meaningful either. But just that you're intentionally going offline during those moments, putting your phones in a place um, where you are not going to be tempted to reach them so that you can be present to your family. Um, research shows that meal times together are amazing predictors of just better behavior, more connection, um, stronger identity, um, all kinds of reduced risk factors for children as they're growing up. And then the other place would be bedrooms at night, oftentimes because they need an alarm clock or they need music to help them sleep. But we also hear that percent of kids are checking their phones, teens, when they're supposed to be sleeping, waking for every notification. So one of our main tips is just to have a device check-in in time and a place that's outside of their bedroom, kind of just a device bedtime. Um, many experts identify benefits to having this at least an hour before bedtime, but honestly, just if you can just put it away right when they go to bed, that would be a huge success. Sleep is critical to every measure of wellness, and we've heard from many counselors that and police officers that our impulse control is actually lower at night. And so kids fall into some of the worst decisions at that time. So if we can get devices out of kids' bedrooms, we believe that that would have an incredible impact. So the other thing that's great about just setting device-free zones for your family is just that it builds muscles that they will have for the rest of their lives. Just think of it like building a healthy habit that you know, we just know when we get behind a wheel in a car, we put our phone to the side or we turn off the notifications. We just know that when we go into a classroom or when it's time for us to study, we just turn it off and we put it aside. Those things aren't going to happen naturally because devices are designed. No, they're designed to continue to keep us, you know, attracted Engaged. to them. That's right. Addicted. Yeah. So we really have to be able to build those muscles. Well, and just how 
starting with ourselves does make such a different difference because if we don't model it for the kids, then we can't expect them. And I've caught myself in that. You know, my daughter has said, oh, sitting over there looking at your phone while I'm playing the piano. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I wish you, you know, I mean, getting all frustrated. But then I'm like, that's right. I don't need to be scrolling right now. I'm just not paying attention. So at night, I think one of the things that I've tried to start already doing about, you know, putting my phone to bed early is to go ahead before my kids have phones to say, like, this is our station. Mm-hmm. And at this time, like you said, all of them are going to bed, all of them are going to sleep, or this is their house, whatever. And if we're all already in that habit, then you don't have the one saying, well, you don't do that. I love that. And I love just the proactiveness and the getting ahead of it and the modeling it before they're even at the age when they have it. That will make it so much easier rather than trying to take your 16 year old and tell her, put her phone away, you know, when she's never done it before. That's right. So. I've encouraged people just go back to an old alarm clock. I mean, I ordered one off of Amazon two months ago because I was like, yep. I don't want my phone in my room anymore. It's too yeah. much of a temptation. So I found the alarm clock that has like the white noise too, you know, and it's so weird trying to figure out how to set it and all that. But I'm like, this is worth it. Yeah. They do still make them. They, yeah. they do. They're not as easily found. And even no. they're kind of, my husband and I were laughing last night. We're like, even this is technology that's a little bit different. You know, he still has an alarm clock from the nineties. So it's just awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is awesome. Yeah. yeah. And so what about A? What, do, what does the A represent? Yeah. So A is accountability. No matter how great of a job you're doing at training your child to use tech responsibly, we recommend that you um, reinforce your training with parental controls on your devices. No doubt it can be a challenge to figure out what types of controls are best for your family. It's just totally overwhelming. But the good news is that there are a growing number of options out there, and you can learn about them at websites like Common Sense Media or Protect Young Eyes. The thing that we share with parents, though, is that none of these devices are 100% foolproof. They are just safety nets. And so really your first line of defense is an open, honest relationship with your kid as they navigate the Internet. And one of the things we recommend is just be prepared and aware that accidents will happen. Mm -hmm. And our friends at Axis, they recommend, uh, they train parents to say, uh, to have an I'm not shocked face when your child comes and shows you And just be prepared because the last thing that you want to do is when they run into something that is explicit or unsavory, um, the last thing you want to do is to respond with shock, um, which makes them feel shame. And if they feel shame, then they will quit coming to you. And so the response we like to train parents to have is just to say, oh, wow, tell me more. Mm. You know, we can get through this. I am here. Let's talk. And that really, those are the, those are the most important, um, that's the most important safety net that you can have in place is being a safe harbor for your child to be able to come and talk to you. Mm. If you haven't, if you haven't talked to your child about pornography, you probably should not have your child online. Truth. We, yeah, we, um, age 10 is the average age of first pornography exposure and 90% of today's pornography portrays a man being violent to a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have some pretty startling and alarming. We're not really an alarmist organization, but when you start looking at um, some of the 
information coming in from um, sexual abuse uh, nurse examiners, stuff is skyrocketing because kids are being exposed to pornography at younger and younger ages. And so, um, again, we recommend checking in with Protect Young Eyes. They have an amazing resource. One of my favorite things is a book called Good, Good Pictures, Pictures, Bad, Bad Pictures. Pictures. Yeah, yeah. And um, if you are, if this is your first child that you're trying to learn how to talk to about pornography, it's it great. is. Yeah, it is just gracious and gentle and not startling, but really gets to the heart of addiction mm -hmm. and um, gives you really practical steps to take. Um, if well, you and they have a junior version yes. and an older version, because I've read oh, the junior version with my oldest son. And again, people, honestly, since they saw a picture of me reading it with him, have asked me a lot, like, what was that book? What was that book? I'm like, listen, no matter how uncomfortable you feel, yeah. please do it. Because I can even tell you now, like he has come to me many times and been like, mom, that's a, you know, a woman that's showing more than she should be. And we just talk about it. And it is one of those things that it's scary, it but is. once you get on the other side of it, it's actually this beautiful conversation because guess what? You're going to have it a lot. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, right. And this is something else that I would say to parents who are listening. Your one child may not be like your other child. So my oldest son is just a very open person. He wants to talk about things. He wants us to know everything because he's more of a people pleaser. But then my daughter, she is much more likely to keep things very private and to herself. And so she's the one even more so that we're just starting to you know, read this story of me books too, um, when it comes to sexuality, and then we'll start the good pictures, bad pictures. And it's crucial to have the conversations with her because she's not as apt to come and tell me what she sees. Right, right. So you just have to be aware of that with your kids too. Yeah, we've really appreciated that resources just to make a way to make it easier. That's right. That's right. And so go ahead and then tell us, um, R and and T, kind of how those play in. Yeah. So our during quarantine, our R right now is standing for. <laughs> <laughs> it's changed a little bit, but um, you know, rhythms are yeah. your best friend. And we've heard from you know families that in, in national surveys that the number one battleground in homes is technology. If you're somebody who's tried to take your kid off of a screen after playing Fortnite for four hours yeah. and you've seen some kind of raging tantrum, you are not alone. I've experienced that in I my too. house. And one of the things that we just really try to do is to replace you from being the bad guy, make the rhythm, the bad guy, make predictable um, mm -hmm. times when you can be on your screen, the bad guy, and then just let that be consistent. Yeah. Um, and you'll, you know, it's hard for the first few days. Um, the kids will push back, but once they sink in, the battles go way down. And some of those things that we recommend, you know, you might just have like a mantra, like no streaming before noon. If you have an older kid yeah. or if you're younger, we um, sometimes will say chores. We say brain time, chores, screens, outdoors. Mm, yeah. That's actually what we do at our, at our house. And we've, we've heard that it's really good. We find that it's really good to chase screen time with activity yep. once they get off of their screen to have them do something to reconnect their brain to their body. So if it's push-ups or if it's running around the house, another way to help kids transition off of screens that I find really helpful is to just use the power of touch. So instead of going in and saying, you know, get off your screen right now, 
go in, sit down next to them, put your hand on their shoulder and say, I'm here. And whenever you're done with this level, we're going to turn it off. And it just helps them like break out of that screen connection and Mm. realize I'm coming back into the real world. So those are just some kind of rhythms that I don't know, we find helpful. And I think especially when we're all cooped up all day with our kids on screens, it's helpful to just let them begin to understand the cues that you're giving them um, and how that's going to help them transition. And then T. Oh, the other thing I would say, there are times, the thing about rhythms and routines is that change. Yes. And there are times where you're going to have a day where the rhythm was totally, that's right. (laughs) You did not do it that day, but that's, that's just a great opportunity to just give yourself grace and jump right back in there. And you know, know that when life throws you a curveball, you flex and flow, and then you just jump right back in and you start swinging again. And so don't let, don't let perfection get in the way of just striving for a rhythm that's predictable for your family. And then the final T is just time well spent. We know that the days, especially right now, are long and they're emotionally challenging, but we encourage you to look for some unexpected positives. Did you know in quarantines throughout um, history, Shakespeare wrote King Lear and Isaac Newton calculus (laughs) and he discovered gravity. Really? Yeah. So we encourage you, especially during this season, to not just call your kids off of screens, but call them into something better and guide them toward meaningful activities. Use the season to grow with your child. That can be both offline and it can be online. Mm -hmm. On the offline world, of course, you know, chores are a great way for kids to feel connected to their families. And also studies show that they become more successful in their careers as adults. We recommend at least a one-to-one ratio of outdoor time to screen time. And then also, this sounds crazy, but don't be afraid to let your kids get bored and really boredom. (laughs) I, when I give that, when I give that, it's a gift, (laughs) it's a gift, but it's not, it's painful. It is painful. (laughs) It's not actually the, an easy thing to do, but if you can let your kid, instead of you rescuing them out of the boredom, let them rescue themselves through it. You will see them get to a place where they are thinking more creatively, responding constructively to the, to the circumstances around them. Um, becoming innovative and curious about the world. Um, and so we consider boredom time well spent yeah. <laughs> at its start. Online, though, we think it's really important as well for you to be a forward-thinking parent and connecting with your kids online. And so one of the things that we share with parents is that it's really important for you to take interest in what is interesting to your kids online. Mm-hmm. So if you are a parent who has a child with TikTok or Snapchat, get in there and start a snap streak with them. Get in there and make a TikTok with them. Let them see that you are interested in what they are interested in online. Learn the Fortnite dances. That I was going to say, thing. goodness, that can be so hard as a parent too. Maybe not for people who love technology and video games, but like for me, I mean, mm-hmm. Fortnite is the epitome of awful for me. <laughs> I mean, it's just so, uh, and my son, I mean... I'm so glad that we had some rhythms already before quarantine because he, like I said, he is a rule follower, so he won't even ask, right? Yeah. But my youngest son will ask because he's at that age where he's really young and he just wants to do whatever brother's doing. And I'm like, I don't care about Fortnite. It's so hard to get interested, but learning the dances, that can get me. 
there you go. Yeah. So that's a good, that's a good one for me. I mean, like teach yeah. me the dances. Don't talk about meowsers or whatever his name is. Yes. Yeah. It, it can be really hard to take, it can be really sacrificial to take time to learn about what your kids are interested in online. That's for sure. Yeah. But it's worth it. I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, that that's their reality yeah. and it's not going away. And so it's a way to stay connected to them. And um, the other thing we, we recommend just is helping them have, especially during this time, like FaceTime or Zoom playdates with friends rather than social media connecting with friends. And one of the reasons that that is a recommendation that we make is that study has, studies have shown that back and forth conversation, kind of like a tennis ball going back and forth, that reciprocity, that's actually what releases oxytocin in your child's brain and in your brain. And it's actually what helps restore mental health rather than like constant dopamine hits of social media and wondering, is anybody even out there listening to what I'm saying? What are they thinking? How, you know, what did that mean? So those types of interactions, if you're going to have them connect with their friends online, excuse me, you're fine. Those types of interactions are the types that we recommend for for children when they're online. And of course, you still have to be involved. You still have to be yeah. kind of monitoring their friendships because kids, unfortunately, will do more cruel and unbelievable things online. And so, and and just like you mentioned with your younger daughter, that um, not all kids will tell you when something has been hard online. And That's so, right. just make sure you continue to pursue pursue their hearts as they engage in friendships online and not assume that they're fine because they're connected. So it's so true. And, but I mean, I totally, and and you probably agree with this too, as an adult, so many things, if we learn to identify them in ourselves, it's so true even for kids, because I almost know now when I need some face-to-face interaction or just conversation back and forth, that is not like, As adults, we feel, oh, we're online. Nobody responded to that. I mean, so the reality that we get addicted to the dopamine hits, it's even more so, I think, for a brain that's not even fully developed. Yes, absolutely. And then we get to the point where we are gauging how people feel about us on complete and total false, um, I don't even know what the word is, but it's just not a true measure of what's really going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's our prayer is that the next generation would, would learn habits that help them choose life and flourishing and help them stay captivated by the things that are meaningful and not just wasting their time and their attention on things that are being designed to, you know, advertising and stuff like that. That's right. That's right. That are just designed to actually make them want more. Well, as we start to close up here, because several of the questions that we've talked about really have gone right on into the other things I was going to ask you about. But I do want parents, particularly who are listening, to know a little bit about the impact that screen usage has on work and life readiness. You all write and talk about that a little bit online um, on your website. And so share a little bit of that with us as we close out, because I think this is crucial and will help us to reflect on our values, because really, our ultimate goal is we want our kids, well, I want my kids to love Jesus and serve him and serve people, but I want them to be successful adults. 
Right. So, yeah, so we really want them to be successful adults as well. And I think so much of that is learning to use technology as a tool and not a toy, learning how to become self-regulated with it, learning how to identify and verbalize, you know, this is an instance when technology is really helping me to flourish versus this is an instance when technology is really causing me to be depressed or, or isolated. And really, we see a lot of the effects of screens on the workplace with like interns who are out there right now. There's, I don't know if you're familiar with HR mom. Are you I'm familiar not. With her? Yeah, you should, you should look her up. She's, okay. I will. HR mom. Yes, I another. HR mom. She helps kind of train um, parents to here's what, here's kind of job ready things that you can help do with your kids to help them get ready for the workforce. She was in HR for a long time, but one of the things, you know, that is so important from an early age is just to let them have the space to get curious about the world and the, and the role that they want to play in the, in the world. And that unfortunately can't happen when their whole lives are being controlled by whatever the next thing is, the autoplay or the Mm -hmm. notifications that are popping up on a screen. And so really as you are, raising your kids, try to just think about it as building muscles, um, getting in reps of helping them know when to put screens aside, when to pick them up, make sure that you're narrating why you're using screens for your kids, articulate the reasons so that they can begin to internalize them and they can begin to develop an internal framework that will help them to decide what types of screen use are healthy for them, and then what types of screen use are getting in the way of them discovering gravity or (laughs) doing whatever it is that God designed them to do. So I would say that that's probably the biggest thing is just helping them just develop that executive functioning by giving them space to build healthy, like they're going to learn how to use an iPad, you know, in five minutes. That's never going to be a challenge for them. The challenge is going to be how to set the iPad aside so that they can do things that only they were designed to do as humans Mm -hmm. um, and to lend that gift to the world. And so really what that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. And you can really get caught up in this idea of, oh, my kids are going to be behind if they're not using technology. And I'm like, it's a lie. (laughs) I mean, I'm saying it as someone who struggled with it myself, like, oh, they need to be. No, no, they don't. Kids are really, really smart. And trust me, they are not going to get behind on technology. I mean, it's just not going to happen. I don't think personally, because the reality is, is that we can learn things really, really quickly if we just put our mind to it. So if we really need to know how to do it, we're going to learn it. I always tell my kids, I'm like, if you can just look, if you can look people in the eyes and shake their hands, you are one step ahead of most of the kids in your generation. And that's never going to happen unless we are intentional about building in those, those muscles for them. And it's not going to happen through looking through somebody's eyes on a screen. So, well, tell me as we close out then about start, I know you guys primarily only work through schools. So let's say, um, I mean, I know it's mostly in Kansas right now, but how does someone go about maybe having start come into their school or yeah. with their parents? Yeah. So actually our primary audience is, is parents, mm-hmm. especially during um, the next few months while we still don't know what 
we still just don't know what schools are going to look like and we don't know what the what the changing needs are going to be for teachers and students and so really right now we are just here to help parents and one of the things that we've started offering for parents is just the opportunity to host a zoom meeting so if you have a group of friends if you have a group of um, parents at your church or at your maybe your PTO group and you want to grab a glass of wine and hop on Zoom one night with us, yeah. we'd be happy to do that. You can register to be that champion, that that host at westartnow.org slash get started. And then what we do is we just send you a Zoom link and we help your family walk through just all these questions that we've talked about today, we send you a downloadable family screen plan. We give you time to talk with each other because one of the things that really our passion is that it's really hard to be the only parent who has your kid put their their phone to bed at night. But what we've learned is that if parents start talking to each other, it turns out that a lot of that parents feel they're on the same page about and okay. <laughs> the kids like to get in the middle and say, oh, so-and-so gets their phone that's at right. night, but that's not always necessarily true. And so there's a real advantage to having FaceTime with other parents and we are happy to facilitate that. You really, it can be a hard conversation to start, but we are here to kind of be an outside voice um, to help guide conversations with parent communities. So we'd love to help um, host a Zoom call. Well, Krista, thank you so much. This has been really beneficial for me and I just really love and appreciate what you guys are doing. Good. Well, thank you so much, Amber. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Resources, links, and quotes from today's conversation can be found at graceenoughpodcast.com under the show notes tab. If you are enjoying the show, I would like to ask you a few favors. Number one, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You can head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. Number two, if you enjoy the show, would you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes? Those reviews help me to know how the show is impacting you. And number three, the best way to grow is for people like you to share it with your friends. Will you share your favorite Grace Enough podcast episode via text, email, or social media? Again, I'm so grateful for each one of you who listen week in and week out. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time!